Yeah, let's do it. I'm pumped. Let's let the healing begin. God help you if you use voiceover in your work, my friends. God help you. It's flaccid, sloppy writing. I don't want you to be the guy in the PG-13 movie everyone's really hoping makes it happen. I want you to be like the guy in the rated R movie, you know? The guy you're not sure whether or not you like yet. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I'm Lee Carlo, joined, as always, by Jeremy Fisk and Chapin Hemingway. This week, we are going to be discussing... Steven Spielberg's classic from 1975, Jaws, in honor of the 4th of July. I'm not sure why this movie is associated with the 4th of July, aside from, you know, a lot of the movie takes place on that day. But it, over the years, I feel like it's kind of um, kind of been coincided with the 4th of July. But I think it's a, a fitting idea for us. That, so good idea, Chapin, to do this. And then we're going to wrap everything up with our top five movies that should not have been good. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil gave him jaws so guys we've spent a lot of time in recent weeks talking about mr steven spielberg uh we recently discussed uh the 25th anniversary of jurassic park on an episode he's come up in a few top fives later today we're going to touch on his illegitimate bastard stepchild jurassic world um (laughs) but when all is said and done he's one of the most iconic and arguably most famous director in Hollywood. And I think when he wants to be, he's one of the best directors in Hollywood. Uh, So with Jaws, uh, ultimately in 1975, we had his coming out party. Launched his career. Um, You could argue it was the stepping stone to make him the director that he is today. Uh, So with all that type of thing in mind, I kind of want to ease our way into things this week and start with a hypothetical for you guys. Um, Because something that I've always thought, and I think everybody agrees, is conspicuously absent um when it comes to jaws is uh oscar wins uh most notably directors director and acting which uh weren't even nominated uh for jaws in 1975 um so we don't need to spend a lot of time on this but i do just want to ask you guys if put, put yourselves in the situation where if this movie was released today knowing everything we do about steven spielberg and the director that he's become but then also considering uh where we are with cgi technology and horror movies and, and adventure movies how do you think this movie would be received? That's a great question. It's especially interesting because about of how influential this movie was. Like, would we have a lot of the things, you know, would, would we be able to measure this movie as well as we would because it, we wouldn't have the history of having Jaws on, you know, on movies these days, you know, if that makes sense. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it would be very well received. I think it's still, I, I wish they made more movies like this. I wish, I wish, I think it would be very, very critically acclaimed. And um, I mean, I think a good movie, as Jeremy says, a good movie is a good movie is a good movie. Um, well, that's, that's a little bit of a, of a uh, digression from what you say, but I think it, it still applies. And, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know that it would be the hit that it was. 
Um, that's the one thing I wonder about. Yeah. So basically, I wrote down the same thing, Lee. Like, how how effective would it be today on today's modern audiences, and not in terms of just like whether it would be a blockbuster or what, where it would rank in Spielberg's um, list of great great films, but just would it have the effect it had in in 1975 on a modern day audience? And I I think it would. I I really think it would. Would what do you guys think? See, I, I, the reason I, it, it was weird. The reason I thought of this question is when Jurassic World ended, I saw it on Tuesday or, or something. There was, it was a full, full house. And at the end of the movie, just one guy clapped like three times. And then like, I think he like looked around and realized like, Pathetic. Oh, sit, what am I doing? <laughs> and, and, you know, it's very unusual now to have, you know, to, to have an ovation at the end of uh, end of a movie in a theater, and it's something um, that used to happen a whole lot more often. And it's been, my mom especially brings it up all the time to me. I always remember her talking about ET and seeing ET in the theater, and when the bikes take off, everybody cheered. And I was watching Jaws the other night. I was at my parents' house, and and the scene where Brody blows up the shark. Spoiler alert, uh, and you know he's he's laughing and he's excited and my mom pointed out again and i almost knew she was going to say it and i'd already written this question down that everybody cheered in the movie theater when they saw that and that's something i don't think that will ever happen again and i and i just think you know whether it's jaws being made today or any type of movie i don't think that sort of reaction i don't think movies elicit that from people anymore well i think yeah i mean i it's a really great point. And Jeremy, I thought you brought up a really astute point. I think two, two or three podcasts ago where you, you were saying that you, you didn't think people would look like kids who were fans of the Marvel movies, especially Iron Man. When they, when they came back, you know, 10 years later, they weren't, they weren't nostalgic for an Iron Mm -hmm. Man time period. And I think that that just speaks to a lot about how different movies are these days. I think, you know, Jaws as itself, is an, an interesting movie and a, and a, and a, a, a you know a very good movie that we, we will get into talking about in more depth. But I think the real one of the big things about Jaws was that it was it was this phenomenon and it like you know people were it swept the nation. It was the first modern blockbuster and um, it like changed the country right. Like people were afraid to go swimming and you know um, there was that whole idea. And I I don't know that. There are, I don't know that movies have that effect on people these days. I don't know that, I think that's, that's kind of, I kind of am saying the same thing that you are saying, Lee, that, that, that like movies don't, aren't as powerful maybe as they used to be. Um, I think it says says the guy who couldn't sleep last week because of hereditary. Okay. But I mean, (laughs) this was like a, this was like a national thing. Like people, no, you're right. Literally like people wouldn't go to the beach for, for, for years after, after seeing this movie. I think, you know, we've. I I remember, and I don't know why this memory comes to mind, but when I when I was living in outside of Boston and working at my uncle's uh, place, I would take my cousins to go see movies, you know, on the weekends, and you know we'd see these, you know, blockbuster, the you know, like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies or the Transformer movies. It was like it was the mid aughts, you know, that that time yep. period, and they were just like they would just go to these movies and they were just nonplussed, you know, they were they they enjoyed seeing them, but they were they they just sort of sat there and you know, with their 3d glasses on and sipping their, you know, giant Cokes and, you know, they, they, they didn't seem to be moved one way or the other in, in, in these movies. And I just think that speaks to just how different, um, 
people are now with with you know the internet and the the amount just the sheer amount of content that's out there and um you know specifically that we we as viewers are a lot more intelligent isn't necessarily the right word but we we know we you know we know a lot more about how movies are made these days i think yeah 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 but that's we still got to go to lee's point is it like i agree with you chapin and i think the oversaturation of just media in general and the amount of stuff you can consume as a consumer it, it it's overwhelming and and since we have so much to pick and choose from we can kind of you know we we can kind of brush stuff aside quicker and go eh like cuz we got we can go to the next thing but but Lee's question really was if jaws came out today would it is it the the film cuz you watch jaws and you're like the filmmaking is so incredible and the storytelling is so great so that that still stands the test of time that still works today so maybe if it did come out today yeah maybe it wouldn't be the same sort of like hysteria of you know the nation not wanting to go to the beach or go in the water or go even take a bath but it would still i think because the filmmaking is so powerful and effective and good that it would still have a gigantic effect on people and it still would be a blockbuster had it came out you know this weekend i i think you're giving people the i think you're giving the public too a little too much credit jeremy but um but i don't think they i, I think i don't think they would realize they would you know realize that it was because oh this was such a well done film i think it was it would just be effective enough on an audience member to make that work I mean, I think you're, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I, I go I go kind of back and forth here, but I think you're right. I mean, I, I think the genius of Spielberg, part of what we discussed with Jurassic Park is just how well he shoots these things. And I mean, to me, I mean, we can kind of, maybe we can get into it now, but what I, I even liked more on this, you know, more, most recent viewing of Jaws was, was the sort of the first hour in the town and that whole aspect of it. Um, but but I guess more to the thriller part of it, when you get out into the out into the sea and um, you've got the the shark, I think I think that he he's so he just knows how much of that he can show. He shoots it so well. He shows just enough for you to like get an idea of it, and um, you don't understand how limited that technology is. Um, you 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 he because because of how well Spielberg understands how it'll work on screen, and that's really genius. And I think that's what's genius about Jurassic Park, what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But I don't. I just. I guess. I think. I just think audiences are. I mean, maybe it would be a different kind of movie, right? Like maybe it would be a a, a movie that came out in December. You know, maybe it would be a, an Oscar darling or something like that, and that's how it would get the audience. I just don't think it would have the same sort of you know literal blockbuster effect um, as as it had um, in 1975. All right, so this is a good spot to move on from that and get into a little bit more of the nitty gritty of this movie. So um, obviously, all of us have seen this movie multiple times and i think uh most of the time when we watch it it's it's simply because it's a movie that we love uh it's one of those movies you know they always say when it comes on tv you just don't shut it off you finish watching it Uh, but going into it this time knowing we'd be discussing it this on the podcast and i think all of us sort of wanting to avoid this being an hour-long jaws blowjob uh, was there anything specific now, Josh, you guys Bojo, were looking that, for? That has, a, that has multiple meetings. 
<laughs> That's true. <laughs> Sorry, say that again. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> uh, which part would you like me to repeat, Chapin? Just the just talk the, more about the Jaws blowjob. Yeah, please. Um, no, my question for you guys is: Was there anything specific you were looking for going into it this time? I I I wasn't looking for anything. I guess I was trying to. <laughs> I was trying to. You know what I was looking for? I, I was looking for. I want. I wanted to know. That could, you know. Eventually, I feel like we, will, the three of us, will do like a, an all-time ranking. We discussed doing it for the hundredth episode, and it was a good thing we didn't. But Jaws might be up there on my all-time. On well, my so all-time. if we go back a ways, when when we compiled the get your film fix top one hundred, and all yeah. of us com- put together our our own individual top one hundred to then compile, Jaws was number two on my list behind the apartment. Right. So, and I, and I, you know, I, I don't know if it'd be number two, but it's high. I, I believe it, it would be high up there for, for me. But then my thought is, was with this movie, my, 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 what I was looking for is like, does it go beyond, beyond just being a thriller? Does it, is it, is it just the best thriller ever made? And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Like, but is it about more than what we think it's about? Like, um, and like I, I wrote a. This is probably not a very. This is a, seem probably a very obvious point now. But um, when I was at Emerson with Jeremy, we I wrote a paper on Jaws, and it was about the you know the 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 class system that's in Jaws. And obviously, um, uh, Quint is kind of the working class guy. Uh, Brody is the middle class guy, and you've got um, Richard Dreyfuss's character. Uh, uh, what's his name again? Hooper. Hooper. <laughs> so, oh, wow. <laughs> and you've got you. Okay, I'm gonna start that over because I don't want to sound like an idiot. And you've got Richard. <laughs> no, I Drives- think you should leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> you've got Richard Dreyfuss's character Hooper. Uh, you know, be, uh, representing the upper class. And in, I mean, they are. Once you really look at it, they are drawn very clearly that way. Um, and so you've got the three classes on, together on this boat, and that obviously creates a certain amount of conflict. But I guess what I was looking for does, is is it is it saying anything about about that beyond kind of just putting these people together and, 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 you know, you know, kind of reveling in that conflict. And I, I don't know that it does, it didn't, I don't know that it needs to, to be interesting. It's very, I think it's, it's just, they, they just exist. They're just there and they are. And um, I don't think it, I don't think those, those lines are drawn very obviously, but I think we're, we are meant to look at that as uh, I think it works for what it, for what it, what it's supposed to be. Right. Like it, like these, yeah, these guys are, are and I think I think it, it, it draws those lines I think as characters they are very, they are distinctive very very distinctive from each other but they are very subtle within their particular groups um, and I love that about that movie it just makes it so much more rich for me right like um, I love yeah. the fa- I love the fact that the the, the, the the Brodies are kind of like you know semi alcoholics and they've got like this sort of strange existence on this life where they used to live in new york i love thinking of of um brody as being kind of like the same character he is in the french lieutenant or the french connection where he (laughs) retires and to amity island after you know spending too much time with popeye doyle and um i love that about it and i think and i and i and then this time around like i really was drawn to um richard drives character like i think he's he's also pretty interesting not quite as as uh in depth as you we go into brody but he's you kind of wonder why he's there and you think you you wonder a little bit more about him i had a similar sorry jeremy i just want to respond quickly to to that because i had a similar reaction to kind of the class system in this because it's it's the introduction of that 
is is very clear. I mean, they literally Hooper comes out and says, "I don't need this working class hero shit." Yeah, and but they don't really push it, and they do. I don't know. Have you guys read the book? No, I know so, you have though. Yeah, so they do like explore it quite a bit in the book uh, to the extent where. Uh, Ellen Brody like grew up in upper class and kind of like longs for that upper class and ends up having a, having an affair with Hooper as a result. And it's it's just it, it takes so much away from the story that this movie is. Granted, the book is is kind of its own entity in that way. But it, it's just I think you made a good point that it doesn't need any more exploration of that class system. It introduces them and it makes the character dynamic interesting um and you know it allows those three characters to you know exist on the orca uh you know and have drama amongst each other and i just think that's important it's it was a smart choice and it's something that's done really well well you know me i'm like such a a sucker for a great screenplay and a a well-structured screenplay and i think jaws has that and as far as the class system goes i i almost do think it does go a little bit farther than you guys are even giving giving it credit for i i may note that like i love those subtle touches of course of course hooper and quince um characters you know are going at it because one's the working class and one's the upper class but really those two have the most in common they're the those are the two that can do the stuff on the boat one can you know hooper's the one that can drive the boat that quint lets drive the boat they're both the ones down and working on the engine when um when that needs to get repaired right he, he's the one asking yeah. hooper to to um you know tie the tie the barrels to the you know, sheep shank. Come the, on, Jeremy. Well, no, no. He'd like get the barrels. Yeah, get so the barrels that, right. And they're yeah, also there. They and what I noticed this time around is they also have a similar costumes. Like they have blue shirts and dark pants. They both do. Yeah. And I think that's go, that's sort of lending itself to showing something deeper in the class system as as those two have way more in common than than Chief Brody does, because Chief Brody doesn't even like being on the water. He doesn't know anything about boats. Um, like a perfect scene, obviously, is the, you know, the most famous scene comparing the scars while uh, Chief Brody just kind of stands in the corner. Those two are the two that have the scars to compare. Yeah. And they just happen to come from, you know, different different walks of life. But I think that, you know, lends itself to showing um, the connection between those two different, very different class systems. And I think that's just such smart writing. I mean, yeah. it's it, 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 brilliant writing. Yeah, you're right. So, Jeremy, what were you looking for anything specific this time? Yes, yes, because I knew this was going to be just that Jaws blowjob of a podcast. So I was looking for what don't I like about this movie? What doesn't good, work? Good, good, good. Um, that that was my approach, too, which was broad, but... It was broad. Was- it was like, I, I got to find stuff here. And it was really hard. It was nearly impossible. I mean, there was some <laughs> there was some acting moments I was just like kind of rolled my eyes at. Um, the only thing I, w- I I jotted down that I think may not even work in this movie is the ending, mm. and that's something we can get into. But I I don't know what the alternative would have been. But I do feel like it takes a sort of absurdist twist when when Jaws decides to basically jump on the boat eat quint and then get blown up wow you know? so i i had a really similar reaction to the last it 10 like minutes last five prior, minutes yeah. or whatever yeah ten, five minutes prior to brody blowing him up which i think still works 
but it's it, the pacing seemed to like not flow as smoothly once Hooper goes down in the cage. From there to when Quint gets eaten, it feels like every it feels like the shark just got really pissed all of a sudden and was like, "I'm I've had enough. I'm going to eat this boat." Like, yeah, I agree. I mean, if if we're going to nitpick one of the greatest movies ever made, that's well, that's where we have I would no choice. It. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, but up until that point, the pacing and the editing, and the like, just how how good Spielberg was at creating suspense out of nothing, out of a a dock going one way because it's attached to the shark, and then the dock turning around and going the other way. Um, it, it's got one of the best jump scares of all time when um, Hooper's down and discovers uh, what's his name, that Ben Gardner, yeah, Ben Ben Gardner's boat. Um, I don't know. It's it's really hard. It's really hard to find stuff you don't that doesn't work in this movie. But I I do I do agree that the pacing in the last you know five to eight minutes just kind of goes off haywire. Oh, this piece of shit movie. <laughs> so and, I, let's let's explore this a little bit because this is actually something that I I have always sort of noticed, and I don't know if I've ever had a problem with it, but I I kind of wonder how well it works that. In a way, you have two movies here, and Chapin, you pointed out how you were kind of more intrigued by the the scenes on land before they go out to sea on the Orca. So once they do go out, you never see any of those other characters again. There's a really, really brief moment where Ellen Brody's on the radio, and Quint kind of just blows her off. But that's the only... I don't think you even hear her voice. Yeah, you don't even hear her voice, and that's. but that's the only connection to every other character we've seen in this movie once they go out into the ocean. And it, it is, in many ways, a different movie. Uh, and you're dealing with the drama between those three characters. No longer are you worried about the uh, the town of Amity making money and the, making those summer dollars. You totally forget that the mayor exists. Uh, you know, so I'm wondering how you guys feel about that. Because I've, I've always noticed that. And I always remember as a little kid, like, I was like, if Jaws was on, you know, and I didn't have the patience to sit through a whole movie, if it was on and they were out in the ocean, I'd I'd watch it because that was always the more interesting part to me. Um, yeah, that's that, it's a great question. I I was I was I walked in to work to to record this, and I was on my way. I was thinking, you know what? I'm I'm really glad they didn't go back to Amity, um, and I'm not really sure why. I think I think it was a nice way to sort of wrap up the movie, and I think you you knew from the death of the shark that you know they, they what's what's really interesting about jaws as the template for the modern blockbuster is that it isn't overly complicated there's a very simple problem and a very simple solution and it's solved as soon as they blow the blow the the, the shark up and there isn't any there isn't any thought of you know it, it's 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 gone almost as quickly as it came right like like there's no thought about it. Is this a is this a trend? Are there a bunch of these sharks? Like, there's the talk about one it being a rogue shark, but for the most part, it's like it's here. We need to get rid of it, and they do. Um, and so that's enough. But do you I think? But do you think when you watch this movie though? And I agree that I, I agree. I, I'm glad you don't go back in the aftermath to Amity Island. But when Brody blows up the shark. Is your reaction, okay, Amity can get back to business as usual, or is your reaction, okay, Brody survived? Brody survived, and I think that is the reaction they kind of want you to have. It is interesting to think about, and, and and I, you know, it never bothered me before, and it still, you know, it doesn't bother me now, 
but this is this is Chief Brody's story ultimately. And even when he's on the island, it's about Chief Brody figuring out how to take care of this problem. So once he takes care of the problem, the problem's taken care of. You know, like that. You don't need to go and see the town, like the townspeople clapping and get, you know, slapping them on the back and saying, "Great job, Chief." You, you, you know, we have the resolution we need. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, that it, that that's a good point. I I had this really weird thought while we, while I was thinking about preparing for the podcast, and th- my thought was this: you know, there's this. There's a little bit of of literature and stuff about how, about how like you know early man was like in in groups of like thirty right like the like when 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 they first started when when we first started to actually like become Homo sapiens or whatever we were we were like in groups of about thirty or forty people were these like or it was a tribe right and then and so there's some sort of uh, sociological and kind of anthropological reasons we we explanations for why we do things based on that particular fact. And one of the <laughs> one thought I had is like, are we predisposed to liking a story where you know this very sort of insulated community, obviously an island, is having a problem that's uh, that's um, you know it's it's a uh, it's a a problem that could ruin the island, it could 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 devastate the, you know the economy of the island, and it could you know very well kill many people on the island. And then one person or a group of them has to go essentially just like solve this issue, right? And has to leave the tribe and go out. And I think it's a common story, but are we like genetically predisposed in a weird way to like responding to this to this type of story? And maybe this is a totally ridiculous thing to think, but like Well I wonder I wonder if this movie applies to that. Because I think maybe part of what you're suggesting is that like we sort of rally around this uh, this community and this island, and like we want their problem to be solved. Um, but like everyone outside of Brody and Hooper, you kind of don't like so much in this movie. Like the mayor is is the closest thing to an antagonist outside of the shark. Um, you know, you got that bitch that runs the motel that like doesn't want the beaches to close and like you know there's a lot of unlikable people that are uh you know trying to ignore the problem that they have because for their own selfish reasons and i think that's realistic in the context of the movie but you know there's no real uh community to rally around we like brody we want him to succeed we want him to win the day so i think that works and that's all we need um but i don't know if you're um comparison totally applies here yeah i think i think one of the biggest reasons it works so well once they leave the island is because of the dynamic between those three characters are are, are so interesting and, and really so much more interesting than anything we had on the island um that w- we feel very satisfied just being on that boat with those three guys uh and you don't need that sort of like go 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 save the community feeling anymore because it's really about the survival of these three characters which um how how they interact with each other is you know interesting enough to keep keep that movie going Hmm. yeah so that's what i've got for you guys i mean i'm sure we can continue to circle jerk this movie 
Um, well, I got I got a few notes here okay. that I, yeah. Um, like first of all, you know what I wasn't crazy about this time around was the score, and I'm not talking I, about I the agree. famous the <laughs> famous. Yeah, I'm I'm talking about the in between score when they're just kind of like on the boat and things are going fine. It's very fluffy. It's very Hollywood. Yeah, like there's that moment when it goes when when they when John Williams works the Spanish ladies song into the score and it's like a whimsical note and, it, and there's like a, it's on a close up of of Quint and it's yeah. a, it seems completely inappropriate. It's like you know, they like work it into the into the score, and it's like this whimsical little nod in the middle of this like scary uh, shark chase, and and it, yeah, I totally agree. It's it's a little overbearing, and I I, I, I hate how sort of self aware the score is. It is yeah. Geez, it is now to a certain extent, though. I mean, it like it's been just. I mean, we've been we've been hearing it our entire lives. You know, the 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 film world in general has been hearing it for what are we at 30 43 years right so i mean i think at some point it's it the the jaws dun 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 starts to well i'm not become even almost a caricature that. of itself um yeah I, he's, I, he's talking I'm about not, like the the what's what's in between those great moments yeah yeah i i don't i, I think that that part of the score is still pretty relevant and pretty great it's the in see lee you, you're not even thinking of it because it was so forgettable you, you yeah maybe you almost you almost can't place it well there are um, other moments of the score where it's not just that that iconic you know two beats but you know the one i always think of is that that wide shot on the boat when they're chasing the barrels and the music is really heightened you know when they're going they're chasing it fast and they ride right up to the barrel like that's always one of the most like the shot that sticks in my head immediately and the score is really going there and i don't know if that's what you're talking about but like if that's the case like the those are still some of my favorite moments um so hold on i had another thing i was gonna i had written down i have a while you're while you're looking real quick so the and it reminded i noticed this while i was watching the movie and and Jeremy, your your Instagram story reminded me of it. The shot that you posted that you were watching it was an example. Yeah. And he does it a few times uh, with the three of the, those three characters in the shot. The framing I found weird and questionable. Like you kind of, kind of have this close up, chin up shot on the person in the foreground. And I mean, it's sort of naturally how it would appear. But then you have chest up on the 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 guy in the middle and then a full body shot of the guy in the background and it just looks weird and it's sort of low angle up and he does it a few times and i'm wondering if you guys picked that out but i i found that framing questionable and the again i this is the the nitpicking uh, segment for me yeah i didn't i didn't have any i mean i i really didn't have any problem with his framing i mean I love, I was yeah yeah i i think jaws would be a great movie to watch without the sound yeah, to just to just just watch the framing because you I mean you're t- half this movie you're just on a boat yeah how do you keep that interesting how did how did he keep that interesting and he certainly does the way he goes from close ups to wide shots he doesn't um, do anything uh, like crazy either it's, it's no pretty but this basic. his pacing and his pacing and the decisions on what shot to cut to next are are really brilliant I mean you can. Like one example of it is, you know, when they're singing, um, I'm tired and I want to go to bed. And yep. 
they then just cut to a, a big wide shot outside and then the barrels pop up. Yep. I mean, it's just the little things that he does so well in this movie. Yeah, there's and, some great cut. Another one is that moment when they're at their wits end and um, they're talking about they're at the uh, Quint finally succumbs to asking Hooper how to, how is all his technological stuff will work against the shark. And he talks and, and Hooper brings up going into the shark tank, a shark cage and Hooper, uh, you're, you're on a wide shot of them and they go, you, you've got Brody kind of throwing the life jacket down and saying it'll, you know, the shark will tear that thing up. Then you cut to Hooper and he yeah. asks, you know, do you have a better idea? And you cut back to Brody, and it's and the, them and the cage the, falls down on him. Yeah, yeah, and they're putting the the cage together. But it's but his eye line matches enough that it w- it could have just been a car. I don't know, like something. These little moments like that are so nice, and and a nice way to sort of tie together what would could very easily have been a very like, you know, a, a, you know, a, in a, a a production that had a lot of trouble, but also. You know these moments that are when you're on the water, and you know, I don't know. You know, we haven't shot that much on water, but you can imagine how difficult it would be to for things to match. And yeah, that and would so be... tying things together is really helpful in the edit because it just helps kind of like um, just keep that, that that those moments sort of congealed. Yeah, and and it kept it from going stale and boring on that on yeah. the boat. I mean, there was never a moment where you're just like, yeah, there's really oh, not. We we need to get back to land. I need something like there's it, the pacing and the shot selection and the editing are so good. But the other thing I had written down um, was I, I was curious where you guys place this in with its peers as far as like in that sort of. I know it's known to be like the first blockbuster, but it is also a seventies movie. And we had just recently, you know, like reviewed the deer hunter. Um, where, like, where would you guys place it in that canon of, of seventies films? And the, what made me think of it in relation to the deer hunter was Amity, like in the deer hunters, uh, wherever Pennsylvania town that was, was a very specific time and place that, you know, really put you into the action really quickly. And it like, it reminded me that, Hey, yeah, this is part of that sort of 1970s auteur directors, uh, canon. What, what did you guys, did you guys think of that at all? As far as just like where it, where it fell in that realm? I don't think it, I think it actually does a really good job of establishing place, but I think time is less relevant here than in a movie like the deer hunter. And, and the reason I say that is because I don't think I never think of this movie in the company of the great '70s movies, the Godfather's and the Deer Hunter, and you know those those movies. Oddly, not because I don't think it's great, but not, it's more because I don't categorize it as a '70s movie. I feel like it's timeless in that way. Like it, it, it didn't, it, you know, it could have the same movie would have been made in the '80s or the '90s, and and I think it has a lot to do with. You know this the this basic structure of the story and you know the the how well the movie is made. It doesn't have those kind of benchmark uh, cues that you look for in a '70s movie or. A See, 80s I movie. I think it does. I think his you know his wonners, the famous Spielberg wonners, are are you know part of that sort of '70s directors auteur. You've got a lot of the 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 sort of overlapping Altman esque dialogue, which I think works so well, at least in the first half yeah, of, the, of the yeah, movie. Yeah, for sure. And I also think, the the I pacing. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, he steals like well, he maybe steals is the wrong word, but he 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 sort of co-ops the, all the conventions that work for him from the 70s, right? Like the I think there's a lot of it seems like there's a lot of real people from cast in the movie. Um I know that Ben Gardner was a was a local from, on Martha's Vineyard and um I think there's a lot of improv- improvisation which I think worked really really well. Um and there you know the it's interesting because I think that it, you just don't think of those type of um, methods being successful in making a movie like this, right? Like they're like the the kind of I always think I always equate it to the apocalypse now. Like let's just go out into a jungle and shoot a movie for you know eighteen months and see what happens and ma- you know make the movie in the edit. And you know I think they were re- famously rewriting the script a lot on set and they had to, you know they had a lot of problems to work around. And I think they you know he like spielberg kind of used those conventions and it's interesting to look now i don't think he does a lot of that anymore um even though he was so successful with it here yeah i mean i do think it fits right into that 70s canon i i I don't disagree with you lee in that it's timeless but i also think it you know he does like you said shaven co-op a lot of those same um filmmaking techniques that that the that time is known for and he does it, you know, very well here. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I got a question for you guys. Um, I was thinking about asking this in, with the uh, Jurassic Park um, podcast, and um, I'm glad I didn't. But uh, I, 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 this is sort of general, not really involving Jaws. So are, we, are we done with Jaws for now? Sure. We can move on. Okay. Um, so we... We, we, we watched Jaws, um, and it's a movie I'm sure that uh, we've all seen at various times in our lives. I think I remember seeing it when I was very young and being having the shit scared out of me, same as with Jurassic Park. Um, and I am sure that I revisited it when we were in film school, Jeremy, and living together, and we probably watched it together maybe in our in our shared living space there, and then I've you know, watched off. it now, and I've yeah. watched it. Yeah, pants off. Yeah. Um, and I've watched it a couple times, obviously, since finishing, you know, school. And I, I would just, I would like to think, this is a question I've been asking myself a lot with the podcast. And I, I would like, I would like to think that we are sort of the sum of our uh, film going experiences, that we are always at, at our most um, sort of intelligent intelligence in terms of, you know, taking in films. But I'm not convinced that that's the case. And so my question for you guys is, do you think that we are at this moment, like, are we at our sort of most analytical? Or maybe I shouldn't say that. Do you think that we are, we are like the sum of our parts in terms of watching movies? Are we at our, are we watching this in our most informed um, time period as, as film, I guess, reviewers or aficionados? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think there's two ways to answer it because I, you know, I I felt when we were doing the podcasts and kind of running the Get Your Film Fix website in you know 2010 to 2012, I felt the most prepared and the most um, qualified to discuss movies, just on a you know kind of an analytical and professional basis. Um, now. When we talk about them now, though, like I oddly, 
you know, I, spe- I went through a lot of years where I wasn't watching as many movies and I wasn't kind of, you know, studying them and watching them with as much of a watchful eye. But I, I think now I sort of kind of have this nice balance where I can I can enjoy a movie, but I still continue to look for all the things that I sort of taught myself to look for. So in that way, I think, yeah, I think it's it's kind of the most responsible way to review and or watch and review a movie. Um, I think, I think, yes, that we are the sum of our uh, film making or film watching experiences. What's that noise? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Chapin's always the one making all the noise. Yeah. Uh, um, but I, I would say that no, like I, I feel like there was probably a point where I, I, I can only speak for myself that I was had a more. I don't want to use the word like not excitement, but like the idea, like I hadn't watched as many movies and I was still like informing my like opinions. And I think that might be when it's like most exciting to talk about movies. I don't know if I was like as articulate or as good at it then, but it was probably when it was most exciting when I was like really forming a lot of these opinions on films and learning what to watch and learning what to look for and that sort of thing. Um, sometimes I wish I could go back to those days just to sort of see films through those eyes again, because it's an interesting time, but that's different. That's sort of, that's still getting you to where you are watching movies now. So like, right, right. You know, I, and that's why I say there's a couple ways to answer it because I think like you, there's not necessarily a right way to critique a movie. Like you're just it's it, where you are in your you know film education and film watching experience and where you are in your time in your life in a time in your life kind of all factors into your experience with a movie and how you either relate to it or view it or see it. And I think those all kind of change your judgments of a movie. That's why movies change over time. Your opinions of movies change over time. Um, and that's why it's amazing that movies like Jaws kind of don't, you know, it's a, it's a credit to how good they are. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a good point. Um, and it, it goes back a little bit to what your original question, Lee was like, <laughs> would this movie still be any, would, would still be received the way it is? And I often wonder, you know, sometimes I think in a lot of ways, I, I'm not able to appreciate a movie truly until I've seen it a couple times. Um, some of my favorite movies I didn't even really particularly like the first time I saw them, and you know we're in a time right now where we can go back and see a movie a bunch of a bunch of times, and we can own it and we can see it in different ways. Um, and so I wonder, as it relates to your first question, Lee, like with 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 Jaws, I mean we can't sort of unsee Jaws, right? Like we can't we can't sort of see it for the first time. I think there's a lot of times some you know i just what i just said about having to see something a couple times to appreciate it i think a lot of times there are movies where that first viewing is sort of what how it was intended to be seen it wasn't intended a lot of movies aren't intended to be sort of closely analyzed and you can't kind of ever go back to that first experience um so yeah i i it's something i struggle with because i you know you guys obviously really loved the deer hunter, which we discussed a couple of podcasts ago. And it was tough for me that I didn't seem to have that same feeling as I used to have for it and that you guys still do. And I, you know, I wonder like, am I like, is it just, am I more jaded now? Do I, you know, am I like, what's happened to me that, that my experience has changed? Yeah. It's an interesting question. I don't know how, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where like you, 
you know, you go into a movie now, like even like, you know, we kind of try to track down movies with good reviews and even, you know, something with an 87 on Metacritic or, or, you know, a high score on Metacritic that even, you know, especially if it's one that's like right down my alley, I have no expectation these days that I'm going to see a movie that's going to have the same kind of influence and lasting power as a movie like Jaws or, you know, and, you know, it changes over time. You know, there will be blood is climb to the top of my favorites over the course of a decade. So that, that type of thing changes. But I think, you know, your, your initial viewing, I think we don't go into movies maybe the same as we used to, like Jeremy was pointing out, like when we had never seen Goodfellas, you know, and knowing what to, knowing that what we were going and about to see could be, you know, life changing in a, in a, you know, film audience type of way. Yeah, I mean, sometimes movies will sneak up on you too. Like I, I, I've given up on the expectation of like ever seeing another Jaws. Like it's never going to happen in the same way as like well, when I. But why I is first, that? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I also I do know that. It it doesn't mean that I can't like movies as much anymore. Like there are movies, like you say, like there will be blood that sneak up on you. I walk away from there will be blood thinking it was one of the greatest movies ever made. But over time, that um, No Country for Old Men, even a movie like In Bruges, which we didn't even know about and didn't see in theaters, now is uh, one of our you know favorite quotable movies that we like to talk about. Like it's it's weird how that that experience that that movie watching experience it somehow you're right, Chapin. It's changed over time, and I don't know what the answer is. But it I don't know if it's it's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's just evolved a little bit. To write about a flower, to dramatize a flower, I have to show the flower's arc, and the flower's arc stretches back to the beginning of life. How did this flower get here? What was its journey? Therefore. I should infer from analogy that probably all the organic beings which have ever lived on this earth have descended from some one primordial form into which life was first breathed. It is a journey of evolution, adaptation, the journey we all take, the journey that unites each and every one of us. Darwin writes that we all come from the very first single cell organism, yet here I am. And there's LaRoche, and there's Orlean, and there's the ghost orchid, all trapped in our own bodies, in moments in history. That's it. That's what I need to do. So top five movies that should not have been good. For those of you who don't know, Jaws was riddled with production problems. Um, the shark didn't work. Um, you know, they the production got delayed and delayed and everything it was it went way longer there's a there's a famous interview with Richard Dreyfus about him talking about how how shitty the movie was and he was a no, like hated the fact that he was a part of it and you know thought it was going to be terrible so we were sort of thinking movies that should not have been good cuz jaws of course is one of the greatest movies of all time so did you guys have any additional criteria this is it was tricky i came up with a good amount but it was tricky yeah, uh, my criteria was basically one of two things. Either the concept was just so bizarre or baffling that it, it never should have worked, or it was one of those like Jaws where the um, the actual production had so many problems 
that it just never should have right. come to completion. So those are my two criteria. Yeah, yeah I had a, a sort of a similar. Yeah, it, 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 I didn't want it to be too much like too much that uh, it was like a. Um, I don't think you know trouble behind the scenes always means it's going to be a bad movie. Um, but I, I have a couple of those. I, I, it was also some, I also like, was like some conceptual wise, conceptually, um, you know, that didn't seem to be like a great idea. Like the, the combination of people together and blah, blah, blah. All right. Why don't you kick us off? Me? Yeah. Okay. Um, my number five is, um, Melancholia by Mr. Sir. No, it's not a sir. Of uh, what's his name? What's that director's name again? Um, Lars von Trier. Lars von Trier, yeah, classic. Um, yeah, you know, like uh, I think it's sort of a silly idea when you think about it, right? Like, um, and I think I always sort of hesitate away from Lars von Trier movies, um, but you know, because he's kind of a dark, sort of twisted filmmaker in a lot of ways, who likes to. Um, you know, I, I, I shock the audience in a way, but this movie was everything but that. It was, it was, it was, it wasn't shocking at all. It was, it was, it sort of just worked, which, which made it, you know, the idea that this planet is going to collide with Earth and it's set against this, the backdrop of this wedding. And, um, it doesn't seem like it would really work, but it really does. And the fact that it's a surprise makes it even more, even more enjoyable. Yeah. And everything is sort of set in reality in that movie. You know, the only thing that's maybe not is this this impending doom of the planets colliding. But like what you're watching is real. So I feel like you can you can relate to everything. Brilliant. It's a good pick. Thank you, sir. All right. My number five is a film you may have heard of. It's Star Wars, A New Hope. This kind of fits both my criteria. First, um, Apparently, the production itself went way over budget, and everyone just thought it was going to be the most ridiculous movie. Um, I mean, really, if, if if you were an executive and somebody pitched you this space odyssey, you know, uh, like, what would your reaction be? Like, I... I because it's never really been it had never done been done before and you got like this this you got Harrison Ford walking around with this giant ape like it just it it seems so absurd it, like at the time but of course we know what it turned into so yeah no that's a great point i always wonder about those and i think it's been i think to your point jeremy it's been proven that a, a, a lot of these movies that are like new ip you know where they're starting a new story that nobody's been invested in have not really done well especially those weird sci-fi movies because you people don't seem to buy into the world but yeah he did something lucas did something in that movie yeah something about it worked yeah that lebo that's oh, a, sorry. well that's no what's so interesting about that is it's so hard with a movie like star wars to and jaws to a certain extent too to look back and say you know this shouldn't have been good but especially with star wars like we because we've seen so many sci-fi movies since and so many like alien movies and alternate reality movies that that piece doesn't almost seem to factor in but when it had never been done before it's such a risk in a way to do that yeah and like and nobody was really famous i mean 
like Alec Guinness was the most famous person in that in that movie. It's like, oh, what do you got in there? Oh, Alec, the guy from <laughs> yeah. Bridge Over River Kwai. Uh, Great, sold. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a few hundred million. All right. Um, so my number five. Um, I tried to rank these based on how good the movie is. Um, Bro, oh, that's such an original way to rank. This. No, but like, sort of also, but. I mean, you could do it also by, like, the ratio of how likely it should have been good, too, but I sort of avoided that. But um, my number five is is my number five because while I think, in hindsight, it's actually pretty good, um, it's it's certainly not, you know, a great movie. Uh, it's Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, this is a movie that they based on a ride. And, yeah. you know, how, how would that work? It, it, and... You know, when your source material literally has has no words, it's just a ride. Uh, there's there's nothing to base it on, and they you know they created something fun. And I think Jack Sparrow is an iconic character. Orlando Bloom is you know Orlando Bloom, but yeah, I think at least in the first one he works. Um, and it you know it's I think I think he does, does in he? the first one. The problem is he just like takes everything way too seriously as that series continues to go on, and like. You know, he thinks it just doesn't. He doesn't work anymore. But I think he's sort of a straight. He's sort of a straight. Well, he's Orlando man. Bloom. He can have any bird he wants. Uh, yeah, that was my number three. I'm gonna switch it out now because you selected it. But um, yeah, I mean, it was it's it's almost a self fulfilling prophecy, right? Like they they took a sort of a, a a very thin idea for a movie and made a great movie out of it, and then have since made way too many and commercialized it into oblivion, essentially. All right, my number four. Now, um, this goes back to our we discussed horror movies um, on the on the last podcast, and this was a sort of a, a revolutionary one at the time. But you wouldn't think it would be, um, and it's Wes Craven's Scream. Um, you know, I've never That's been a, a fan pick, yeah. of of Wes Craven. I never, you know, all those movies he made before Nightmare on Elm Street. I, I'm not even sure I saw that, but like, um, this was kind of a postmodern horror movie um and yeah i mean it totally worked it it worked on on both as a as a horror movie and as sort of a comedy about horror movies um worked at a a, as a movie about movies um and yeah i think it was great and it's sort of a slasher movie that you know launched unfortunately a bunch of shitty slasher movies too like yeah in similar ways to not that not by any means that Scream was the first slasher movie, but you know, in it, it sort of reinvented that subgenre. Mm-hmm. All right, so my number four is a movie that I I would actually like to revisit, but um, just the it's one of these conceptually bizarre movies. It's uh, being John Malkovich. Mm. Oh wow, yeah. Uh, I mean, basically a movie where somebody portals into the head of John, a random movie star, John Malkovich. It, it just like, if you were, if you describe this movie, it just should not have worked in any sense. But I think because, you know, Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman were involved, um, that certainly helps, but it's just one of those, like, I, I don't know how, like, I, I think even if I read the script, I'd be like, I just, I don't, I don't get it. All right, my number four is uh, a movie that I think just was like, um, like just 
all like everybody involved well i should say everyone in the production involved not the actors necessarily but director and writer is just like hitting the lottery uh and that's the fugitive um andrew davis is the director if you take a look at his resume not nothing too impressive uh the writers haven't really done too much um and i don't know if you guys know this but apparently the fugitive like was well into shooting without even a script like they never had a full script together uh they could never really figure out what they were shooting day to day and it was it you know when you don't have a script obviously that's part of the reason um and it's and it's a movie that structurally is great and the right and the, 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 the screenplay is great uh whether or not it actually existed um and i just feel like it it should never have become the movie that it did my number three uh replacing parts of the caribbean is the new planet of the apes series oh interesting um, right the original was an honorable mention for me yeah so there you go even a weirder thing i think uh, they tried to remake it in early, <laughs> I think it was 2000, with Tim Burton, which seemed Ugh. like a good idea, but um, it was horrible. Uh, it even did well, but some, but somebody at I think Fox had the wherewithal not to keep going with the with that particular version of the movies, and then they decided to remake it kind of very smartly with um, the new digital motion capture technology. And I think those movies are actually pretty well done. They're actually well well received and. Um, almost artistic in a way. I agree. I like them. I, the, I, I feel like they're slowly falling apart. Um, the most recent one, like I just, I didn't understand why, like sometimes they talk and sometimes they have sign language. And like, I just, I, I feel like they're thinking too much and trying to get to the next big action scene with them now. But I agree, especially the first couple I think are really good. All right, my number three. Um, so this this is definitely one that falls into both categories. It had, I think it had like four directors go through it. Mm. And also the concept is just like somebody was on acid. But it's one of the most famous movies of all time. It is The Wizard of Oz. That's a great pick. Yeah, <laughs> thought about that one. Yep. All right, my number three is United 93. Um a movie that the feel good movie of 2005. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's a movie that like it was certainly met with some um some resistance. It came out 4 years after 9/11 happened. Um and it also was released kind of simultaneously with a TV movie called Flight 93 telling the same story that was horribly done and I don't know why, you know, mo- like movies feel or studios feel like they need to do this but um i think i mean united 93 is not only a good movie but i think it handled the subject matter responsibly um and you know it didn't exploit it uh and i think you have an excellent movie that i think tells the story and i think not only does it not exploit it but it doesn't try it's not trying to also be like a rah-rah usa movie either and i think that uh, is why you know it uh, in many cases it can stand the test of time and continues to be a, a really well-made movie. Yeah, it's one of those like I I, I saw it in the theater and I don't know if I'm going to see it again. It's just not, you know. I mean, it's not something people want uh, an experience and it's something that people yeah. want to revisit and watch a lot. And I think that's part of the why it you know that's a movie that I mean, surely was effective. Maybe it shouldn't have I been mean, good, but 
it was effective and i think it was good in the sense that it was a it it was a you were a thriller in a sense but i i sort of wonder why i remember feeling like why did they make that movie i mean it didn't really yeah. it was it was just like a i don't know it was so disturbing but like it just you know what I mean? Why I make the same like same that? reason you ask why they make Patriots Day? It's because that's what they do. You know, there's a it, it's a, it's weird. Like, you know, it, it, it used to be that a movie would be made. I feel like about like a, a significant historical event, like years and years and years later. But now it's like as soon as you know they can get a script going, you know, someone seemingly is writing it the next day, and they make the movie right away. Yeah, that that would be an interesting topic to explore. Like, what is Hollywood's fascination with tragedy? Like, with with recent repeating, recent like repeating tragedy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, is it my turn? Yep, number two. Uh, My number two, another movie plagued by problems on the water, and that was Kevin Costner's Waterworld. Yeah, but did it work? Yeah, was that good? I actually I watched it the other day and it, it, it was it was good. Um it is good. I think it's a movie that I have often thought was not very good. Um I watched it again and there are there's some really great stuff in it actually. So I've never I've never seen it. You should you should watch it. Yes, I think there there's some interesting things in there. It's silly at at times, absolutely, but there are some really original moments in it and it is a, a, a movie whose scale I never quite appreciated until this last time I viewed it, and I think it was worth the $175 million it cost in two, in 1995. Yeah, that's nuts. My number two, this is maybe the first time I've ever had a movie on my list I haven't seen and hasn't even come out yet. <laughs> what? I don't know really? how that can ha- be, ha- ha- be on your list. I'm, I'm not quite sure either. But you'll see in a second. So it is Terry Gilliam's The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, which is being released this year. Um, I don't know if you guys know. For like 25 years. Yeah, I don't know if you guys know the history of this one, but he's been trying to make this movie forever. He's he's already started one with Johnny Depp, um, and they started fit. They got like through some of the filming, and like I think like there was a giant storm, and everything got destroyed. There's a documentary on it. Yeah, there is. Um, but yeah, <laughs> they've they've literally I, made a documentary about how this movie couldn't be made, and it still yeah, hasn't been couldn't made. Couldn't be made, and it still isn't out. But it's gonna come out this year. It 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 stars Adam Driver. Um, it's it's and, out, evidently. Well, it, yeah, somebody's seen it, and uh, Jonathan Price. You may know him from uh, Game of Thrones. But uh, just the fact, just the sheer audacity of Terry Gilliam trying to make this movie for as long as he has, and, and the fact that he has failed so many years to get this off the ground. I, I had to put it on my list. Um, it's got a 54 meta score already <laughs> off to a good start. That's too bad. All right. My number two is Rocky. Um, I mean, so Sylvester Sloan kind of came out of nowhere and not that that's never been done before, but uh, he also just happened to be perfect for this role. Like I don't, you know, he's not, I don't think, a particularly great actor, but he was great as Rocky. Um, and that, you know, th- just the fact that he kind of very quickly wrote that script and then it was, you know, somehow picked up and made. And everybody likes a underdog story, sure. Um, but ultimately, you know, with the cast of characters involved, the, 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 
the people involved, it should not have been the movie that it is and kind of the benchmark for the underdog stories that it is. All right, my number one is Mad Max Fury Road, and I apologize that that appeared as my number one a couple um, uh, episodes ago, but um, I started to think about it. Like, Obviously, I really love this movie. It's my favorite movie of the 2010s so far and um but like you know it's not a movie anybody really asked for it was it's based on a it, it was sort of a sequel or a follow-up to a trilogy that was made you know the, the last film came out in the late 80s i think um it was a character who was originated by someone who you know is not very well respected anymore um george miller had made a bunch of other you know other types of movies that were really well received um but somebody greenlit this movie and gave them a bunch of money and it had a really tough production as well and was um had a bunch of reshoots and evidently there were some problems between actors but still it turned out to be a really original you know vision and my favorite movie of the 2010s yeah that's a good that's a good pick i mean it's a good point like why why do it why make that movie yeah there's there was no like no demand for it nobody was like oh we need a new mad max um when we run into that a lot too with asking that question like why why remake this movie or why make this sequel or why make this movie at all and the reason we're usually asking it is because the movie is a piece of shit but in this case the movie was amazing all right my number one um, it's a movie that shouldn't have worked based on its premise. Um, it, it's Forrest Gump, uh, Robert Zemeckis's film. You know, Robert Zemeckis made a few movies that probably shouldn't have worked as well as they did on their premise. But I mean, I would say Back to the Future would be on there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but Forrest Gump is is got to take the cake as far as just like the premise being so outrageous and. I mean, basically, you have a mentally handicapped person that gets involved with, like, some of the most important historical moments um, over a course of, like, 20 years and influences, basically, American history uh, without really knowing what's happening. And it, it uh, partly you gotta you gotta thank Tom Hanks's great performance, and you gotta um, thank Robert Zemeckis's uh, handling of the material. I mean, it comes together, but it really should have fallen flat on its face and been it could have been like embarrassing. All right, my number one, Chapin. This is this is uh, in many ways um, a tribute to you and me living in L.A. Oh, thank you, sir. Um, because we spent at least one, but I imagine many a nights, kind of arguing... Brokeback Mountain? Yeah, <laughs> Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> arguing whilst agreeing about how The Shining makes no sense and shouldn't be good, but is just so good. Um, I mean, and that's, you know, granted this is based on source material, and that's not why I put it on this list, but rather because you can't wrap your head around kind of the mystery of this movie and what actually happens yet somehow it's just so entrancing and captivating that it's such that it's a great movie. Yeah. I think I, I thought, I thought about that. Um, famously, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's very, um, true to the, the book. Um, and Stephen King hates it. Uh, 
And yeah, I, I had a couple of like, um, thoughts, honorable mentions or thoughts about Kubrick movies being on here. And I think that they're in general, like it's, it's an interesting to think about really sort of famous meticulous directors taking on, um, you know, source material that's been, that, that already has a pretty strong reputation. Like I was, I was thinking about, um, you know, girl with a dragon tattoo, for example. And, and like the, the, the you know, the, these really amazing, um, directors taking on thing, you know, these pieces of material that already had this reputation and, um, choosing them for strange reasons. Yeah. And that'll wrap things up for this edition of the get your film fix podcast. Uh, we appreciate everyone listening. We'd like everybody to check us our older episodes out on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you find your podcasts and give us a rating and a review. Those are always exciting for us. Feel free to email us any feedback that you have at feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. Um, and other than that, I think that's all we can really ask. Other than, you know, look, just make the recommend the podcast to a friend right i think that's the uh the big thing um word of mouth is sort of the best um best thing i'm staying i'm finishing my coffee enjoying my coffee